So what does the Book of Mormon say about its role in our life? What's the invitation? We're going to end this class with, I'm going to let the book speak to you and extend its own invitation into your life. And I would hope that this becomes a lifetime pursuit. I'm going to throw the gauntlet down and say, make this a rest of your life pursuit. Now, I've got probably three hours worth of material and 45 minutes to do it in. And so it's like, okay, where do we start and what don't we include? I don't want to go so fast that we don't have a significant experience, but I want to go fast enough to show you some very significant things the book says about itself. So if I go too fast, stop me. But I want to just pretend this board is the beginning of the Book of Mormon, and that edge is the end of the Book of Mormon. And let's just kind of point out where we are in the book and what is the message at this point. And then we'll jump to another spot. What is the message? Then we'll jump to another spot. What is the invitation? I want you to see a consistent message that the book is talking about itself in your life. Mormon knew the potential good that this book would do in your life. So let me just, let's just jump from the beginning. Let's start with Lehi's dream. Lehi's dream. Where is the Book of Mormon in Lehi's dream? Where is it? Kylie? Okay, but okay. Yes, but inside the dream. So yes, we're early in the Book of Mormon. Here we have Lehi's dream. But which of all the symbols in the dream would you say is the Book of Mormon? The rod, right? It certainly could be the tree, the love of God. But the rod is the word of God that leads us to the tree. So long, now we've talked about the tree. We, I don't want to take a lot of time here. But what I would like to do is point out in telling us the story about the tree, Lehi saw four groups of people. Four times he said, I saw a multitude. And then I saw another multitude. And then I saw another multitude. Lehi saw four groups of people. Maybe we... Let's just do this together. Let me pull up first Nephi. All right, let's get to Book of Mormon. All right, let's do first Nephi 8. Okay, let's get into the depths of the dream. I'll, I'll zoom in. Notice this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to label these in reverse order. But notice what I have in gray. I saw... Another, a numberless concourse of people. So there's one group of people. And then on another occasion, he says, look at verse 24. I beheld others. So there's another group of people. And then a little bit later, he says, look at verse 30. I saw other multitude. That's now three, right? And then if you turn the page, we got one more. Verse 31. I saw other, or this is Nephi, he saw other multitudes. That's four groups of people. Now, putting them all on one page is a fascinating study about the role the Book of Mormon plays. So I'm going to number them, the fours, the threes, the twos. I need more space. Sorry, let me take a little bit more room. Let's talk about the fours, the threes, the twos, and the ones. Now, I don't think it's fair to label people, whole groups. I think this is more a discussion of periods of my life. I think I'm all four of them. At, I don't know that we're ever fours, but I'm a one, I'm a two, I'm a three at different stages of my life. And I think these are more attitudes and not labels to bang over our heads. Is that a decent precursor. Okay, so let's start with the fours. The fours are this group in verses 1, 31 and 32. Tell me of all the elements of the dream, you know, rod, tree, building, mist, river. Tell me what you see here. Tell me about the fours. What's not mentioned? Tell me what, what major word 
that is everywhere else is not mentioned here. No tree. No rod. No path. This group of people does what? They go straight to the building. And it's interesting, what's this mean? Feeling their way. Why would someone feel your way to a place? Because they're blind. Okay, they can't see. So they are feeling their way to the building. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to simply say, is there any mention of, sorry. Is there any mention of a path? Are they... Any mention of the straight and narrow path? Path, no. Any mention of rod? Rod, no. How about the tree? Do the fours make it to the tree? Okay, tree, no. So path, no, rod, no, and tree, no. All right, I don't think we need to spend much time on the fours because I don't think that describes anyone that's in this room. So now let's get to the threes. Now I'm going to call this group the threes. Starting in verse 21. I saw numberless concourses of people, many of whom were pressing forward. Now that phrase is going to be used to describe the threes, the twos, and the ones. They press forward and obtain the path. They obtain the path. They commence in the path. And then one more time in verse 23, they commence in the path. So what's the good thing that the threes do that the fours don't? They, they, they get to the path. They commence in the path. They obtain the path, commence in the path, commence in the path. Now... <clears throat> That should ring a bell with some Nephi's other writings. Nephi talks about a path, right? He talks about a gate and you open the gate and you get on the path, right? So what's the gate you open to get on the path? Baptism emergence. So who is finding the path? These are members. These are covenant members. These are people who have joined the path. They have entered the gate and they're on the straight and narrow path. So the threes are path. Yes. That's a step up from the fours. But tell me about Rod. Let me zoom out a little bit. Any Rod here? No Rod. Rod, no. Do they make it to the tree? Trino. Now, commentary about the rod. Is it a coincidence? Rod no, tree no, in both circumstances. Because guess what the twos are going to be? You can tell where I'm going because the, the, the fours are path no, rod no, tree no. The threes are going to be path yes, rod no, tree no. Tell me about the three or the twos. Path yes, rod yes, tree yes. Every time rod is yes, tree is yes. Coincidence? Now, if this is a commentary on the Book of Mormon talking about itself, tell me what that's saying. Rod no, tree no. Rod, yes. Tree, yes. I don't mean to diminish in any way membership in the church, which is vital. But according to what that seems to be suggesting, is membership in, a, in the church enough to get you to and keep you at the tree? This would suggest no. What are these grooves vulnerable to? What does Nephi bring up in the middle of all of this? They're vulnerable to the mist. No rod in your life, you're going to be vulnerable to the mist. And because they're vulnerable to the mist, I want to notice the difference. 
I want you to notice that word. These people, what's the last word in the description of the threes? They're lost. They're lost because they wander. That's going to be very different than the twos. They are lost because they wander. And what might be the biggest reason they wander? In a mist of darkness, they lack the rod. I'm just going to let you ponder that in your life and ask, are there three moments where you have kind of pushed the rod out of your life? Membership in the church, but no rod. You are not a student of the rod. And the vulnerability to the threes is they are blinded. Without a rod in their life, they are blinded by a mist. They wander and they're lost. Okay, let's do the twos. The twos are a significant group. They go from 24 through 28. Now, I can't put the whole two on. I don't know. Can you see that? You get the idea? You've got your own scriptures. You can follow along, right? So tell me what you notice. I see rod. I see fruit. I see tree. So is it safe to assume that if rod is yes, path is yes? Okay, so the twos are path yes, rod yes, and tree yes. Whoops, talking too fast. Now it won't surprise you what the ones are. Are the ones path yes? Path, yes. Rod, yes. Tree, yes. So we've got to add one more word here. Tell me what you know about the twos. Stay is what? Stay is no. The twos make it to the tree. Tree, yes. Stay, no. So some of us are threes. When we grab the rod, we make it to the tree. Sorry, twos. The threes don't make it to the tree. I think that's a significant commentary. The threes find the church. They find the group. They find people. Maybe they go on missions. But they do not create a relationship with the rod. That is an element that is not part of their life. And because of it, tree is a no. I think the difference here is a significant difference. Rod, yes. Tree, yes. But stay is no. Notice this group. Here are the twos. They press forward. They cling to the rod. They partake of the fruit. After they have partaken of fruit, what do they do? They look around. They look around and become ashamed. So rod, yes, but I need your approval. I am very aware of what you're doing and you are telling me what I should do in my life. They look and they're ashamed. So what are they vulnerable to here? The built people, the mockers, public shame, peer pressure. Remember when Jesus first asked, whom do men say that I am? Why would he ask that? What's he really asking? Do you care what they think? Is that what determines your religious foundation is what people think? 
Because then he says, what do you think? And I just think there's a message here that they look and they're ashamed. Now notice the very end. Tell me what's different between the threes and the twos at the very end. Do you notice it? Boy, when I caught this, my whole testimony of the Tree of Life vision changed, especially as I look around and see what's happening in the church today. They, not, what was, the, what was the word on the threes? The threes, wander. The twos, fall away. Do you see the difference? The twos fall away and get lost. The threes wander away. The twos fall away. So I asked myself the question, what is, besides caring what other people think, what is the main way to be a stay yes? What's the main difference between the ones and the twos? I can't show you. I got to flip back and forth. So let me start. Let's read it. Verse 30. Holden, would you read verse 30? Oh, sorry. Went too fast. Oh, good. Uh, pressed their way forward, continually holding fast to the rod of iron until they came forth and fell down and took from the fruit of the tree. Okay, tell me what you're seeing. Tell me what you see. What makes a one? What are the one moments of my life? Amanda? Okay, so there's a holding fast. I love the phrase continually holding fast. So if the Book of Mormon is making a commentary on the role it should play in our life, what's it saying? Making, having a relationship with the rod will get you to the tree. Holding fast will keep you at the tree. So I like that phrase, continually holding fast. I love that. Tell me what else you see. Tell me what else you see about the ones. They continually hold fast. In other words, over your lifetime, is the rod going to play a significant role in your life? Or is this a, well, I went to institute, I studied the Book of Mormon, and then when I graduated, it kind of fell away. I don't mean to be, <clears throat> maybe I overstep here, but do you believe your relationship with the rod is stronger than your parents' relationship? Because you're at an age where we emphasize the rod in your life. We provide institute classes where we study. And I'm grateful what Come Follow Me is doing. But for many years, there were no institute classes for adults. And the rod kind of pulled out of their life. I think what this is saying is to continually hold fast to the rod throughout your life will keep you at the tree. But I think there's something I don't want you to miss here. Tell me about the ones. They fell down and protected the fruit. In other words, tell me what the rod did in their life. It's not a matter of checking it off. I read my scriptures, check. Tell me what the rod did in their life. It led them to him. It changed their relationship with Christ. So that when they got to the tree, tell me what they did. They fell down and worshipped. Do the twos fall down and worship? No. Because that rod was in their life, but what doesn't it seem to be doing? What, what's, what seems to have been the greatest influence in their life? Now, they're holding on to the rod, but what seems to be the greatest influence in their life? Other people. What seems to be the greatest influence in the life of the ones? What did the rod do? It's not a matter of, okay, I read. It's a matter of, did the scriptures have the effect that they were intended to have? 
Did the Book of Mormon lead you to him? So that when you got to the tree, you fell down. That's the invitation. It's not a matter of just getting in a habit of reading. It's a matter of finding the goal, getting to the goal that the scriptures were intended to lead you to. And it's him. You see that beautiful testimony of the role that it's inviting you to, to play in your life? Okay, love to talk more, but let's move on. So Tree of Life, early in... Please. Yeah. They were still totally in the midst of darkness, even as they grasped it and kept moving, although they couldn't see very Beautiful addition. Beautiful addition. They're not out of the mist, but their relationship with the rod is getting them to the tree. Beautiful connection. Okay, at the sake of doing these, <sighs> I wish we could just freeze time and I could have two hours tonight. Let me jump a little bit ahead and then if we have time, we'll come back and then we'll jump to the end. I wanna go to third Nephi. I wanna go to third Nephi. But in order to tell my tale, I have to go way back in time and forward in the Book of Mormon to the Jaredites in Ether. So turn with me to Ether chapter 3. Ether chapter 3 is where the brother of Jared takes the stones up to the mountain and has the Lord touch them. The Lord says, did you see more than that? Did you see more than my finger? He kind of falls over and says, oh my goodness, I didn't know the Lord had a finger. Did you see more than my finger? I can. I can. Show thyself unto me. And so great was the, the faith of the brother of Jared, he showed his premortal spirit unto the brother of Jared. This is Jehovah of the Old Testament. And then verse 25. Tell me about miraculous truth. What, what miraculous thing happened in Ether 3.25? He showed him everyone from the beginning of time to the end of time. Did he see everyone? You? Did he see you? Did he see Amanda? Did he see Amanda's wedding day? Did he see Amanda giving birth? Does he know how many children Amanda has? How many grandchildren? Does he know who Hallie marries? Does he know the major tragic events that happen in your life? The brother, now I don't know how detailed he got, but remember, the Lord is up and beyond time and could have showed him that in a timeless environment where he could actually have taken the time. The brother of Jared saw each and every one of us from the beginning to the end. Did he see Jesus come? Does he know what year Jesus comes? He saw. He saw Jesus coming. He saw the second coming. He saw our lives. He knows your future. He knows everything that is going to happen to you and your children and your grandchildren. And then what was he commanded to do when he came down from the mountain? Verse 27. Ether 3 25 is where he sees them. And then in verse 27, the Lord says, right. Now, I don't know the detail to which he wrote. Did he get down to Howley's children's names? I don't know. Did he get down to year? Did he get down to century? I don't know the detail. But could he have gotten down to a very specific level? He wrote a book. Is it okay if I call that? I'm going to call that. The book of everything. The brother of Jared wrote the book of everything. He saw every human being. He saw all the details and he wrote a book. And then the Lord says in chapter four, go to chapter four, verse one. The book of Mormon, or sorry, verse one. 
write the things which he had, he wrote the things which he had seen, and they were forbidden to come forth unto the children of men until after his resurrection. So no one could read the book of everything until after his resurrection. But look at verse 2. After Christ truly had showed himself to his people, he commanded that they should be made manifest. At some point in the Nephite history, some point when Jesus was with them in America, he opened up the book of everything and translated it, and the Nephites had that book. Again, how much detail, we don't know, but did the Nephites open up the book about Hallie and her grandchildren and that one event that changed her life? The Nephites had the book of everything. Now, where in 3rd Nephi did that probably happen? We're just going to take some guesses. Go to 3rd Nephi 26. Look at verse 3 and tell me if this doesn't sound like a logical place where Jesus opened up the book of everything. 3 Nephi 26, verse 1, what does he say? He did expound all things unto them, both great and small. Specifically, verse 3, he did expound all things, even from the beginning until the time that he should come in his glory. That sounds exactly like what the brother of Jared saw, right? So it seems logical that this is the moment where he said, open up that book, let's translate it. And they have access to it. And it's in their writings. Now, let's tell the rest of the story and we're going to come back to this. So hold on one second and go back to Ether. So keep 3 Nephi 26 for just a moment and jump to Ether 4. What happened to the book? So Ether 4, verse 3. Ether 4, verse 3. After that, after Jesus opened up the book of everything, they, meaning the Nephites, have dwindled in unbelief, and there is none save it be the Lamanites. And they have rejected the gospel of Christ, therefore I am commanded that I should hide them up again in the earth. Now listen carefully to verse 4. I have written upon these plates the very things which the brother of Jared saw. Where in the Book of Mormon is that written? Not in the book that we have. Therefore, where on the plates was that written? The sealed portion. Who wrote the sealed portion? Moroni. What's in it? What's in the sealed portion of the gold plates? The book of everything. The book of everything is in the sealed portion. Let's read it again. I have written upon these plates the very things which the brother of Jared saw, and there never were greater things which were made manifest than those which were written unto the brother of Jared. Verse 5, the Lord hath commanded me to write them, and I have written them, and he commanded me to seal them. So when Joseph Smith gets the gold plates, Joseph Smith gets the gold plates, there's a bar sealing the two-thirds, the majority of the plates. Joseph only translates this portion. And that's 1 Nephi through Moroni. He does not translate this. So let's go into this portion that he translated. Now go back to 3 Nephi 26. And I'll make my point here. 3 Nephi 26. Ready? So after, remember, this is, Jesus expounds everything. Now verse 8, these things have I written, meaning the part, what I'm reading, the part that's in the portion that Joseph translated. These things have I written, which are a lesser part of the things which he taught the people. And I have written them to the intent that they might be brought unto this people. Verse 9, when they shall receive this, tell me what this is. The unsealed portion. When they shall receive this, which is expedient that they should have first 
to try their faith. And if it so be that they shall receive these things, then shall the greater things be made manifest unto them. If it so be that they will not receive these things, then shall the greater things be withheld from them. I was about, now this time Mormon, this is Mormon, this is not Moroni who wrote the sealed portion, Moroni. Now Mormon's writing. I was about to write them all that were engraved upon the plates of Nephi. I was about to write them in the portion that Joseph's going to translate. I was about to write some of the book of everything in this portion of the gold plates. And the Lord said, no, I'm going to what? Try the faith of my people. Do you see the point? Do you see what the Book of Mormon's trying to say? There is so much more God would like to reveal. There is so many more books of Scripture, not just books of Scripture, but personally in your life. There are floods of revelation he would like to send, and he hands you a key to unlock the door to that flood. Tell me what the key is. Tell me what the key is. The book, the portion we have. The Book of Mormon is a test. Do you want more? I got a whole lot more. Turn the key. Now, would you say the church is ready for the more? What do you think it would take to turn that key and be qualified for the more? We are here to prepare for the second coming. And you know what? I don't think the second coming will happen until there's a people who have passed the test. To me, one of the biggest litmus tests as how close the millennium is, is have we passed the test and are we ready for more? The Book of Mormon is the test. Now, in Joseph's day, they were failing the test. Turn to section 84 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Doctrine and Covenants 84. The Lord's going to give a very specific rebuke. Doctrine and Covenants 84. Let's jump to 54 through 57. Anyone want to read? Again, modernize it, hear it in our day. Amanda, 54. And your minds in times past have been darkened because of unbelief and because you have treated lightly the things you have received. Okay, there is something that the church in Joseph's day was treating lightly. And we're going to find out in verse 57, but keep going, Amanda. Which vanity and unbelief have brought the whole church under condemnation. And this condemnation resteth upon the children of Zion, even all. Here we go. Ready? What is it that we treated lightly and has brought a condemnation upon us? And they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent and remember the new covenant, even the Book of Mormon and the former commandments, which I have given them, not only to say, but to do according to that which I have written. So what had the church treated lightly in Joseph's day? The Book of, the Book of Mormon. And that treating it lightly brought a condemnation upon the church. And we were going to stay under that condemnation until when? Until we turned the key. Now, may I just testify? God is willing to open the floodgates of revelation. And the key is in your pocket. And for most people, the key is being ignored. And that's fine. If that's how we want to live, that's fine. The Lord said, here's the lesser portion. If you're content with the lesser portion, totally fine. But do you see the invitation? If you read these little hints throughout the book, the Lord is simply saying, there is so much more I want to give you personally and as a church. And here's the key. Those who turn the key will receive the greater things. And those who don't, We'll just get the lesser things.
Hard to say that the book we've been studying all semester and we love so deeply is the what? The lesser. As profound and as deep as it is. So there's the gauntlet I'm throwing down. Spend the rest of your life turning that key. I love how Neil A. Maxwell worded it. Neil A. Maxwell was one of the great apostles. He had such a profound life um, influence in my life. Elder Maxwell said it this way. The Book of Mormon is like a vast mansion with gardens, towers, courtyards, and wings. There are rooms yet to be entered with flaming fireplaces waiting to warm us. Yet we as church members sometimes behave like hurried tourists, scarcely venturing beyond the entry hall. My plea with you is that you get into those upper rooms. You get into those back rooms where many people don't ever venture. Make the book a quest like a mansion with so many rooms to explore and so many wonderful places to see. Okay, let's do one more. Actually, we've got a bunch more, but let's jump to the very end. So we did something in the beginning. We did something in kind of in the middle. Let's do something at the very end. Let's hear a testimony from the Book of Mormon at the very end. Let's go to Moroni in Mormon's race. So after, so go to Mormon 7 and give me the first verse. Tell me who's writing. Mormon 7, verse 1. Mormon 7, verse 1 is I... Mormon. This is Mormon writing. Now go to chapter 8, verse 1. I, Moroni. So what's happened? Mormon's been killed. And Moroni is taking over. And Moroni's job, Moroni has one thing. It looks like his wife is gone. I don't know if he was married, but it looks like his wife is gone. His children are gone. His dad's gone. His mom's gone. Moroni lives for one thing. What was the one thing Moroni lives for? To finish this book and get these plates safely in the ground where Joseph can get them, right? So Moroni's job is to safeguard those plates. So Mormon 8, he says, look, I got one job to do and I'm going to do it. Verse 4, I write and hide up the records in the earth and whither I go mattereth not. I'm going to get my job done. I'm going to finish this record. Now, verse 12, he's writing to his future translator. He's writing to Joseph. Whoso receiveth this record. Hey, you, Joseph, in the future. Whoso receiveth this record and shall not condemn it, because of the imperfections that are in it, the same shall know of the greater things. Do you hear that hint? All right, he continues. Verse 14. The record thereof is of great worth. And whoso shall bring it to light, let, him, let the Lord bless None can have power to bring it to light, save it be him, given him of God. For God wills that it shall be done with an eye single to his glory. Blessed is he that shall bring this thing to light. Joseph, Moroni is talking to Joseph. Blessed is he that shall bring this thing to light, for it shall be brought out of darkness unto the light. According to the word of God, it shall be brought out of the earth and shall shine forth out of darkness and come unto the knowledge of the people, and it shall be done by the power of God. Now, I know what's going to happen when he writes it. I know what's going to happen when he brings it forth. Verse 19, the same that judgeth harshly, harshly shall be judged hard. Now, here's Moroni's dilemma. Verse 26, the book shall come forth in a day when miracles are done away with. And people will say that miracles are done away with. And yet the greatest miracle of our day is the coming forth of the book. Verse 27, it shall come in a day when what? The Book of Mormon will come forth in a day where we have secret combinations. But what book has the antidote and the solution to secret combinations? Okay, watch him continue. Verse 28, it shall come in a day when... What will be a problem? 
Pride. Pride. Even a day when the leaders of the church shall t- and teachers shall rise in the pride of their hearts. And yet, what book have we talked about has a great antidote to pride? What book talks about pride and how to overcome it? All right, let's keep going. Verse 29. It shall come in a day when... It shall come in a day right before great destructions. It shall come in a day right before the second coming. And yet what book talks about a time period before great destruction and how to survive that great destruction? Do you see what Moroni's doing? Let me keep going. He's going to keep going. Verse 31. It shall come in a day where there are murders and robbing and lying and deceivings and whoredom and all manner of abomination. And yet what book helps you navigate living amongst murderers and robbing and lying and and deceiving and whoredoms and all manner of abominations? Verse 32, it shall come in a, bay, in a day where churches shall say, come unto me and for your money you shall be forgiven of your sins. And yet what book, what book teaches about how to be forgiven of your sins? Tell me what Moroni is saying. The Book of Mormon will come forth in a day where it has all of the solutions to the problem of the society in which it was brought forward. Now, allow me to personalize that because I believe with all my soul the Book of Mormon has every solution to every problem you have. I have had a front row seat for 30 years of watching people discover the truths of the Book of Mormon. For 30 years, I've watched people bring their problems to the Book of Mormon. And guess what? In every single case, they find answers to the problems they face. What is Moroni saying to the society in which the book will come forth? Don't reject it because why? It has the answers that you need. So tell me what he's saying to your personal life. Don't push it off. Don't set it aside because it has the answers to the very problems you face in everyday life. With every ounce of my soul, I testify. And if you haven't seen that, then I failed in this class. If I haven't showed you that the Book of Mormon answers everyday problems, problems like Noah blindness, problems like Amalekiah and how he crept into power, problems like we've seen from day one in this class, problems we all face in our life. Don't reject the book. It has all the answers that this society needs to succeed. You see what it's saying about itself? Let me do one more. Let me take two minutes and let me do one more. Let's go back to the middle. Go to Alma chapter 37. Alma 37, verse 38, he compares the scriptures, the brass plates in his case, the gold plates in our day, he compares the scriptures to what item? The Leahona. The scriptures are like the Leahona. Now he's going to tell us what they did in their day. And I'm going to tell you, it's the same thing that I see members of the church doing in our day. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Now this is very negative. Let's do the negative first and then we're going to flip it and do the positive. So starting in verse, um, so 38, he compares it to the Leahona. And then in verse 41. So tell me what they did to the Leahona, which is what we often do to the scripture sitting in our pockets. We have a rod sitting in our pocket, which is a key to unlock so many wonderful things. And what did they do to the Leahona that we do with the scriptures? Give me the words. Slothful and forgot. We're not bad people. We're just what? Lazy, forgetful, distracted, busy. We get slothful and we forget. Now, here's the problem. If you forget the scriptures, what's the consequence? 
Look at verse 31 or 41. What's the consequence? Before that, there's a reason they don't progress because what happens? They turned heaven off. Not only are the scriptures a key to unlock more revelation, but the scriptures are a key to unlock miracles and power in your life. They turned the key off by being slothful. So miracles cease. Now, when miracles cease, tell me what happens. Three things. They did not progress in their journey because they tarried in the wilderness. Give me another word for someone who's tarrying. They are wandering. How many, how many times in your life, how many friends that you love are wandering? They're wandering. The next one. They do not travel in a direct course. If I'm tarrying in the wilderness, you know what? I'm going to use this word here. Let's use wander here for not traveling in a direct course. Give me another phrase for tarrying in the wilderness. I think a modern day phrase is I am stuck. Have you ever felt stuck? My life is stuck. I'm wandering and give me the last word. I'm lo or lost or I love the word here. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. In other words, the ache in my soul is not being satisfied. I'm going through the motions. I'm hungry. There's the negative. They turned the key off. Miracles ceased. And their life got stuck. And they were just wandering through the motions. Hungry because something is missing. That describes so many people I love. They're stuck. They're wandering. And they're hungry. So let's flip this around. Give me the positives. What would you say are the positive modern words that would be the opposite of that? What must I be? What should I be with the scriptures? Diligent. Any others? Valiant. Consistent. Etc., etc., right? And if I do that, tell me what the book is promising. Miracles. You will not live your life alone. Use, open its pages. Have a relationship with it. Find him that, he's, that the book is leading you to. And miracles will come. And if those miracles come into your life, give me the opposite of these words. What would be the opposite of stuck? I, pr I move. It, mo it compels me. President Nelson gave a talk about spiritual momentum. Opening the scriptures, having them, a creating a relationship with the scriptures, loving them will compel me forward. It moves me. Momentum. Spiritual momentum. It just moves me. What about this one? Direction. My life, even though I still don't have every answer, my life has direction. And there's a beautiful word in the scriptures. 
Or another word that President Nelson uses a lot is joy. There is a hunger is satisfied when we connect with the scriptures. Now that's just a small little glimpse at what this book is telling you about itself. Hold to the rod, get you to the tree. Let the rod lead you to him and you stay at the tree. The, the rod, the Book of Mormon is a key that will open up so much in your life. I just, I wish I could just scream that out at you. It's so simple. The Book of Mormon, the scriptures are a key that will open up so many other things in your life. A simple, one of my favorite apostles of years past said it simply and said it powerfully. I think that people who study the scriptures get a dimension to their life that nobody else gets and can't be gained in any other way except by studying the scriptures. There's an increase in faith, a desire to do what's right, a feeling of inspiration and understanding that comes to people who study the gospel, meaning particularly the standard works, and who ponder the principles that can't come in any other way. Turn the key. There's so much more. I testify with Moroni. I have a front row seat for 30 years. I have never found a problem that this society has, that our people have, or that any individual I've ever taught has that can't find an answer in the book. A very clear, powerful answer in the scriptures. Don't put it aside when it has the very answers to the problems that plague your life. And number three, or number four, I just witnessed to all of you that diligent study throughout your life of the scriptures will turn miracles on. It will compel you forward, even in those moments. I remember one time I ran out of gas on my way to a gas station, but I had enough momentum, it pulled me into the gas station. In my life, there have been many moments where Something happened that could very well have stopped my progress. But my spiritual momentum got me through those moments. Don't lose this. I don't know if I'm ever going to teach you again, and I don't know if you're ever going to take an institute class again. I plead that you will. But I am asking that for the next 60 years, or however long you live, that this be your life course. And that you have a love affair with the scriptures. And I testify the miracles and the opening of heaven by that simple act. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.